If I haven't gotten to meet you yet, I'm Rob. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Redeemer. I apologize if while you were coming in, you thought you were late for the service because the parking lot was full and there was singing. We forgot that Christmas Eve, people show up like half an hour early. So that was, that's on us. We'll try to remember that for next year. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, page 857 in the Bibles in front of you. We'll also put the text up on the screen. Before we hear from God's word, let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a kindness that you would speak to us, this text of good news and great joy. And so I ask that through the Spirit, you would have these words land on our hearts as they're meant to, as living and active words. Help us to, to hear them in, in such a way that it might elicit a response from us like we see in this text. God, what every single person in this room needs Without exception, whether they've been a Christian for 32 years, whether they're here tonight and they haven't walked through the doors of a church ever or in a long time, God, whether they feel near to you or far from you, God, what every single one of us needs is that we would leave this time more impressed and full of confidence with what Christ has done, more full of hope with what he promises to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Uh, I know for a number of parents, typically Redeemer Kids goes up to fifth grade, and so this can feel, I remember we have four kids, and when they were younger, this can feel a little bit like, oh, I got to keep them quiet. It's okay. If they talk, I'll just talk louder. If they get loud, I'll just get louder, and we'll just make it through together, okay? In light of that, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? We'll start reading actually at verse eight of chapter two. And go through verse 20. This is God's wonderful, wonderful, Christ-exalting word. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Feel free to grab a seat. My favorite thing to point out about the birth narratives of Jesus, the story of how he was, was born and and it's something that I first heard from Tim Keller is that something you will not find in the birth narratives is advice. It's all news. 
There's no advice, only good news. Good advice is helpful, but advice is about what we must do. News, on the other hand, is, is not something we do. It's something that we get to hear and then respond to. It's an announcement of what As the, the founders of every major religion said, I'll show you how to find God. Jesus said, I am God who has come to find you. That's the announcement that the angel makes. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Perhaps the best thing any of us can do is actually locate ourselves in this text next to the shepherds to hear this announcement. I love how Matt Smether says it in his book, The Weary World. Finding fear, the angel clarifies why the shepherds have no reason to shudder. I bring you good news of great joy. It's as if he's saying, get up. You can breathe now. The most magnificent news you will ever hear. If you take nothing else away from tonight, that's enough. Good news. Not advice, not even the best advice. Not more to do. God isn't adding to your task list. He's inviting you to trust in what Christ has done, to rest in him. God saying, you can't get to me, so I have come to you. That's news, not advice. Now, each of the descriptions that are listed by the angel in verse 11, all of them are really important. The city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Entire sermons can be preached on each of those words or each of those phrases. We'll just walk through them quickly. The city of David, this, what that's saying is that Jesus is the long-awaited king, that he's actually the fulfillment of a prophecy given hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. Jesus wasn't from Bethlehem. His family weren't actually from Bethlehem. They were from a town called Nazareth, but he had to be born in Bethlehem. One place we see this, Micah 5. But you, hope Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth to me one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Jesus comes to rescue his people. Even his name declares this. His name means God is salvation or God saves. Who is the Christ? necessarily, it's, it's not Mr. Christ. And sometimes we use it that way, but Christ is actually a title. Christ is the, the, the Greek, the New Testament title of the Old Testament Messiah. It meant the anointed one, the one that was going to come. And if you go back to the first two thirds of your Bible, what you'll find is there was two offices that were anointed with oil to serve before God. And it was kings and it was priests. It was those who were meant to rule God's people and those that were forgiveness to God's people. Jesus is the king to end all kings and the priest to end all priests, the ruler to end all rulers and the salvation that can't be surpassed. The angel is declaring. And then this word Lord. When you see that in the Bible, it's hard to tell exactly, is it a sign of respect and honor? It can mean that. But if you read through the rest of this account from the Gospel of Luke, 
This is the Lord. The Savior King has come, and he is God. The grandest of titles and descriptions have been announced over Jesus. Savior, Christ, Lord. Fully forgiven. Christ, he's every promise fulfilled. Lord, he fights all of our battles. And then look, it's found in a baby. That's one of the parts of this story that's so confounding, and it's, it's, it's meant to be. Probably most of you have heard the song, Mary, Did You Know? It was written by Mark Lowry in 1984. And it originally wasn't a song. It was just a series of him kind of pondering and wondering what it would be like if he could ask Mary a question, if he could enter in as, as he tries to understand how incredible it is that God would, would come in flesh. And so he wrote these questions. And then in 1991, he was touring with uh, the Gaither Band. Some of you might know them. And they turned it into than, than almost any more contemporary Christian hymn. Carrie Underwood, CeeLo Green, Mary J. Blige, Rascal Flatts, Jessica Simpson, whoop, Dolly Parton, Patti LaBelle. You can, if whatever style you want, you can find this song done in that style. If you don't know what the song is, quick primer. It's a song directed to Mary, the mother Now, I didn't realize this until recently. The song has some controversy. Some people really love it. Some people don't really love it. Some, like, I'll, I'll give a confession. This last week I was listening. And I was watching the video on my iPad. And about two and a half minutes into it, I found myself crying uncontrollably. I'm not, I was surprised and a little angry at myself for doing that. Moving, lots of feels, lots of feels. Some push back on it because they just feel like it's, it's maybe too sappy. It's not their, their style. Um, some actually really dislike it because it's a, it's a version of uh, theological mansplaining. Of course Mary knew. Stop badgering her. Of course she knew. Gabriel came and told her all of this. So why are you asking her? I, I like a, a more nuanced approach with it. I read a number of essays that would go in and read through all these Old Testament prophecies, pairing them up against the question. Angel Gabriel had told Mary and the things that like the shepherds came and said and so it was great. They broke it down into categories. Here's the things that yes, she knew clearly. Here's the things that it's pretty likely. And then here's the things that like it's probably not. Your son would walk on water. Well, actually I didn't know that. <laughs> Gotta keep reading. And so wherever you're at with this song, if and what the author is doing in his own words is trying to get at this sense that we're confronted with in the Christmas story, that God has become flesh. And if you took the song and into statements of what Christ has done, it actually gives a very robust picture of what Jesus did, in fact, come to do. To heal the blind, to calm storms, it's a picture of a sovereign power over all the chaos, to rule the nations, to save, to make us new. And there's statements in the song. Now, it's not all questions. Some of them are this. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He is the Lord of all creation. Jesus is God, the great I am. 
Uh, if you've been around Redeemer for any amount of time, one thing you will hear me mention a lot is one of my favorite Christmas hymns, which actually wasn't originally a Christmas hymn. It was actually written for when Christ returns, the song Joy to the World. And I will often reference what is likely my favorite line in the song, which almost always gets cut out of contemporary singing of Joy to the World, which is this, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Everything that sin fractures, Jesus comes to heal. He forgives all our sins. He fulfills all our longings. He fights all our battles. And one day that will be true, not in he first came, but when he returns. And where do they find the Savior King that cures the curse? Verse 12 tells us this little word, manger. The swallowing cloths were not really the sign that was given as the angel said, go and your sign will be, you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Every baby born at this time was wrapped in that way. The unique thing was that he was in a manger. That word significant occurs three different times in this text. It shows up three times. And we know from verse seven, some of why Jesus was in a manger. If you go up and you read a verse before we started, it says, because there was no room for him in the inn. There was no place where he was, and so he had to come down to a barn where, where animals give birth, and so that's where Mary was. But there's, more like, there's a more likely significant reason than simply there was no room at the local inn that Jesus was placed in a manger. I believe it's a theme and a symbol that we'll get to here in a minute, and I think it's actually heightened when we ask this question, the announcement from the angels or from the angel, and it was shepherds. The very first people that heard this news were shepherds out tending their flock. I really appreciate this insight from Russ Ramsey. Their job was to care for the animals that would be sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. So that's their job. They're caring for the flock that will be used, many of them put upon the altar of the Lord to, to symbolically atone for the sins of God's people. And then, but listen to this. Yet, because of their handling of these creatures, they themselves would become unclean and thus prevented from keeping the ceremonial law. And because they were ceremonially unclean, they were often regarded as untrustworthy, irreligious, and poor in reputation. And he goes on and he continues this insight. He says, let's press this further. We know that a good shepherd would be willing to lay down his life for his sheep. A good shepherd cared deeply for the lambs under his watch, many of which were appointed to die on the altar of the Lord for the sins, listen to this, of the very people who looked down on the shepherds. Shepherds' lives were, in effect, living sacrifices. These shepherds that heard the first announcement point to the true and better shepherd. Jesus, who said of himself, I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for my sheep, who became unclean for us that we might actually become clean. You might ask the question, how? Let's go back to the word manger. Jesus is not just the good shepherd. He's also the spotless lamb of God. As he was placed in that manger, it was a foreshadowing of being, but that one day he would be raised up as the ultimate sheep, as the ultimate offering to be placed on the ultimate altar of God upon the cross. Even the details of Christ's birth, we see the first glimpses of what he came to do. 
to be with us so he could be like us, so he could live in our place for us and then be sacrificed on the cross for all who believe. Now Luke 2 is probably the inspiration of more songs that I can find. That's definitely true of Charles Wesley's hymn, Hark the Angels, or Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. And the inspiration is, is over here in verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. But the not hark the herald angels sing. This is what it was. It was hark how all the welkin rings. Not quite as pithy, maybe. (laughs) It wasn't even when he wrote this. Hark how all the welkin rings glory to the king of kings. Now, some of you, if we do a little poll, might know what a welkin is. I did not know what a welkin is, so I had to go look it up. It's it's a Middle English word that can mean the the, the clouds and, 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 and the skies, but it's also the abode of God. It's the place where God is. Lincoln Duncan says that when Wesley wrote, Hark how all the welkin rings, he is speaking, quoting him here, speaking of the totality of the inhabited universe, giving glory to God, including that part of the universe in which God himself is the occupant. The best news has just come to the world. And it's not just the earth rejoicing. It's all of heaven. My two favorite moments of any wedding or when the bride walks in, so I get to stand up front, and I stand next to the groom, and the, the doors open, and everyone stands, and as the bride walks down, and I just love to glance over at the, the groom and to see the expression on him. Excitement, this anticipation, this joy. And then the second moment that I really, really love is when the service is just about over and I get to this point where I ask the couple, I said, would you turn around? Would you look at all of your family and friends that are gathered here? And then I make some sort of statement. I said, I now you know, present to you, it gives me a great honor and pleasure to present to you, Mr. and Mrs. And, and you know, say their names. I said, let us stand and recognize this marriage with applause. And the whole room always just erupts. They just stand up and they cheer and they hoot and they holler and the, and the couple walks out. I don't think I've ever had to like hype up the room. I've never had to say, like, this is a really big deal. Let's share. Like, people just do it because there's something good to celebrate. As good as that moment is, it is nothing compared to what's happening in this text. Notice what happens, this quick shift in verse 13. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, now up to this point, up to this point, we, we don't really know what's going on, but there's really just been one angel. So we don't have all the details from the text, but, but up to this point, there's not the... It's like they were waiting in the wings until the announcement came, and then they just couldn't help themselves anymore. They had to, they had to join in. They had to begin to glorify and praise God. Finally, the Savior came. All of the seen and unseen creation is glorifying God. That's how good this text is. That's how good this announcement is. So they say, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those whom he's pleased. This twofold statement actually captures what we began with. It's news. It's not advice. 
God receives all the glory. Why? Because God does all the work. He alone saves. We receive unbelievable peace. Why? Because he alone saves completely. Now, if you continue the lyrics of Hark the Herald, we see appropriate response to this news. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. And here's the invitation to everyone here. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. That's what we do with news, the best kind of news, the news that God and sinners are reconciled, not advice, not instruction, but news about what he has done. Those whom he is well pleased are not those that follow good advice. Those that are good at performing, good at keeping rules, good at not being bad. That would not be good news of great joy. That would be advice that none of us can follow. Those with whom whom he's well pleased are those that just believe. We see it in verse 18. They wonder. It means amazed. They're like, wow, this is incredible. We see it in verse 19 with Mary. She treasures, she receives it, and she ponders. We see it in verse 20 with the shepherds that go away glorifying and praising God. They say, this is like uh, many this time of year are on our annual rewatch the Christmas movies we like routine. And so every night we sit there and pick a new movie. And so last night we watched Fred Claus. It is uh, based on what I'm sure is a true story. It's Santa's brother named Fred, starring Vince Vaughn. It's a clever take on a classic story for sure. I will tell you this, I'm not sure what level is age common sense media before you show this to your kids. So just do that before you send me an email. Um, And I don't want to spoil any of the movie, but there is this scene towards the end where the song Silent Night plays. It's a folk singer. Um, It's a really lovely rendition. But as we listened to that song, there was something that was, was off. There was something it to, to watch again and really clue in on the lyrics. All the usual ones were there except for one, you know, silent night, holy night. And then she tweaked this line a little bit, but it's still accurate. Shepherds foresaw the sight. Heavenly hosts sing alleluia. Sleep and heavenly peace. And I was like, did she change it? Did she change the lyrics? And so I went and found the sound, like, of the song, not the one that was on the movie, and I listened to it. It's like, no, she actually got it right. And so at some point in the editing process, whoever was editing the soundtrack said, there's a line that we're not going to include in this movie. Christ the Savior is born. And instead, what they did is they replaced it over and over again with this line, sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. No Christ the Savior is born. Do you see the problem? is because Christ the Savior is born. The only reason we can have peace is because Christ the Savior is born. That's the good news that brings great joy. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Let me end where we began. My point out in the birth narratives of Jesus is there is no advice, only good news, the best news. Good advice is helpful, but it's about what we must do. Good news doesn't work been done. And what's been done? Christ the Savior is born. Let's pray. Father, we come and we, we ask that through your to us, you'd allow us to join the triumph of the skies and to praise Christ, whether for the first time, for the 20th time, or for the tonight, that we might hear this good news of great joy, and we might experience the peace that only he can provide. In Jesus' name, amen.